Hello and welcome to episode 105 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Eblen. For this episode, we're bringing in a longtime friend, longtime listener, and longtime feedback giver, Andrew Johnson. For our rewatch, he's selected Josie and the Pussycats from 2001, written and directed by Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan. Andrew has always thought it deserves a closer look, given the nearly complete indifference it was shown upon its release over 20 years ago. Though Ryan and I both saw this movie when it first came out, we haven't really watched it with the eye it seems to deserve. We're excited to have Andrew here to share his thoughts and expand our appreciation of this unlikely cult classic. Josie and the Pussycats was a certified flop in nearly every way. Critics mostly missed the satire and bit on the misdirection too hard as the filmmakers nailed the teen pop pastiche a little too well. Audiences didn't connect either and the movie didn't even make back half of its nearly $40 million budget. The film's failure even seemed to have stalled the careers of Elfont and Kaplan, as well as stars Rachel Lee Cook and Tara Reid. In the years since, more and more people have caught on to the insightful satire and the better-than-necessary soundtrack of original songs written by a team of pop music heavy hitters. But does Josie and the Pussycats' 20 years old take on pop culture still ring true? Or does de jour mean, let's never watch this again? Keep listening. Does anyone else think this is a little off? Like what? Well, like that white guy for one. Oh, yeah. Like how he ordered a triple cappuccino and scooped up all the foam. Why not just get an espresso? Plus, how he kept folding his napkin like he's afraid he doesn't have any real friends. Just people who want to use him because he's just a big music guy. Yeah. But I was talking more about the whole record contract thing. I mean, it is super sudden. It is. But you said it. You said we had to go out there and make things happen for ourselves, and we did. I know. I just think maybe we should think about this for a second. All right, so that's a scene from the movie we're discussing, Josie and the Pussycats. I think that's a scenario that we've all kind of been in at some point or another when a major record label offers you a deal and yeah, you kind of just, just got to run to the bathroom something and talk doesn't it out. Seem right about it and you have to talk it out for a little bit. Um, but this is the situation that uh, Josie, Valerie, and Melody find themselves in. Mm-hmm. And um, they're trying to figure out should they sign to this uh, mega, mega, mega record? Mega Is it Mega Records? Mega Records. Yeah, I think that's. That sounds right. Yeah. So we've watched this movie. <laughs> yeah, we've seen it and we're prepared to talk about it. Um, uh, but even if we're not, if we're not prepared to talk about it, uh, that's, why we have, we, that's why we have help today. And uh, so we, ha- we are so proud to finally, finally get on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I know people who have been longtime listeners. They've heard him. They know the voice. Yeah. Andrew Johnson. Uh, I, I tend to call him AJ because uh, we were college roommates and that's what we all called AJ back in the day. Um, but Andrew is what we'll call him today. And so, uh, without further ado, Andrew Johnson, welcome to Can We Still Be Friends? This is an honor, like you guys don't know, <laughs> because the excitement level is, it is over the moon. The pleasure is all ours. The excitement is mm, in this room. Exactly. Uh, we really appreciate your support and your feedback and your encouragement over the years. And uh, yeah, it's great to have you. And, and what this tells me is that, you know, Ryan, the subliminal messages we've been putting in our podcast, they're working. Uh, they're, they've been working, mm-hmm. at least on you. On, on Andrew, Andrew, yeah. yeah so. so good. It's so good. <laughs> and uh, a- Andrew's in Houston, so we're we're doing this via Zoom. Um, the wonders of technology have mm-hmm. made this reunion this possible, possible. Yeah, uh, which is great. I would say this is a heck of a lot cheaper That's than true. the other version of one of us flying to the other. <laughs> right, right, right. And, you know, uh, we, bringing yeah. all of our equipment to make right. this happen. Yeah. And we, 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 we would have found money we, in the budget yeah, for we it. We were talking, we, we were looking over the numbers, talking to our uh, agents, our lawyers. Right. But um, yeah, the, this, accountants, this, the accountants said, we can do it, but if you could do it on Zoom, that, that would really right. help us out. It's uh, financially responsible, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is, And that's the best thing about this podcast. Financial responsibility. Yeah. So, anyways, like we do with a lot of our guests, uh, we basically pitched it to you, Andrew, and said, hey, what movie would you like to discuss on the podcast? Um, and uh, 
Guys, this a was so agonizing. deliberation pot It process. was so this, agonizing. This, this, this was a long back and forth. <laughs> so you had it. You threw out what? Maybe a lot more forth titles? than back. Yeah. I think Andrew uh, just yeah. kind of Andrew just kind of like went through every movie he could possibly want to. <laughs> yep. And we just said, "Yep, those sound great." A lot of thinking out loud. A lot of thinking out <laughs> lot, loud. There. It was yeah. a whole lot of shouting to the air, and <laughs> I was just screaming, and the air just kept saying, "Yeah, sounds fine. Yeah, yeah. sure." <laughs> And uh, so we got to Josie. We, and I'm we happy. finally settled I'm on Josie. Very, in the I'm Josie happy cast. too, actually. Yeah. It's and one that we've kind of mentioned, yeah, uh, as we were deciding movies over the years. So I think it was one that we kind of eventually knew we'd want to get to yeah. and talk about. And um, and I know, think every time you said, you said. AJ always says yes. we should, like, oh, I should watch this one again. And so it, it's only fitting that you're here to yeah. uh, talk to us about this Appropriado. One. All right. So let's kind of, you know, go through the formula here and let's start with uh, maybe some first viewings. And maybe, Andrew, if you want to kind of tie in to that, uh, obviously, like, your first viewing, but also why this movie, um, without getting too into it, because obviously we'll kind of touch on that as we talk through the whole movie. But do you want to go first, maybe, and just talk about your first viewing and why you want to talk about this movie? And then, you know, me and Ryan can share some of our experiences, too, with Josie. Okay, so movie drops in 01, mm-hmm. and I know for a fact I did not see it in theater. So first viewing was college, and I think... So this is, I dead serious guys. I almost started texting a whole bunch of our college friends because I needed their brains to help me remember your first time. It's, it's fuzzy because I know there was a first viewing with a friend of the pod, Phil Vickers been on the pod Oh yeah, Yeah. been on the pod. And the fact that I wanted to see it and that Phil, who was always cooler than I will ever want to be, (laughs) like Phil, he just, he's way up there. And Phil was like, this is a great movie. You're really going to like it. To give you a sense of Phil's taste, which I love, by the way, listeners of the pod, you can go back and listen to his two appearances on here have been Fast and the Furious and Labyrinth. Fast and the Furious and Labyrinth. But yeah, he was a huge advocate of this movie. Yeah. Now there's something that throws... Uh, a bit of a wrench into this and I know we're going to get there. So I'm just, I'm putting it out there. I had this stupid high stack of CDs. I actually wrote in my note how, how much I enjoyed when Josie turned the corner when oh, yeah. Alan she knocks the CD and she tower. knocks over the CD tower. <laughs> yeah. Every such a nineties move. Year, yeah. I had two CD towers that I had to move and like station Mm-hmm. Every year in the college dorm room and then back in the summer setup. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. um, yeah. I was sick of it uh, between the freshman and sophomore year. And so I took a whole bunch of CDs that I didn't have a lot of attachment to. So I went to a local record store and I traded in a bunch of stuff I didn't want. And it afforded me to buy two new CDs. <laughs> <laughs> and and on the shelf was Josie and the Pussycats. On CD, and not or the on DVD. CD. You're talking about the soundtrack. On CD, just the soundtrack. And I, the reason why this is all confusing, I legitimately think I bought the CD before I saw the movie. Oh. By the cover alone and the fact that I love all things Hanna-Barbera. So I knew who Josie and the Pussycats were. And I was like, I kind of have a small crush on Rachel Lee Cook or at some point, let's just see what this sounds like. Now, the, the, the soundtrack did go gold, like... Yeah, pretty quickly. Like the soundtrack actually was more popular than the like, movie. Despite so the movie. you weren't, yeah. yeah, you weren't, you weren't the only one who said, "Let's let's let's take a listen." I'll just give it a spin. Yeah, you know. And so uh, I think the combination of the first viewing with the soundtrack and just all the good feelings of all of that. I mean, I was I was hooked. This was a great movie for me. Okay. Now, how you since then? How many times do you think have you seen this uh, in, in over the span of that you know twenty one years or so? Um, I think I've seen it a lot. I think <laughs> there was the college era, and for those who don't know, our, so you're, I mean, we were in college. Basically, like our college years were like two thousand one to two thousand five, right? Yep. So that so just for listeners, that's kind of the the era we're talking about. Yep, and college is like the time to start catching up on all your cult classics. Well, I think I think people who were watching it when you were and liking it were sort of part of that, creating it into a cult classic. It was not a cult classic when we were watching it. This was just a bomb of a movie that like a few people were saying, you know, it's actually not that bad. Now, 
after college, um, I got married and my wife, Megan and I loved this movie. Like mm-hmm. we would watch it semi-regularly mm-hmm. just because it was so funny. So Megan and I loved this movie. And so we actually would watch it semi-routinely. I mean, it wasn't like a, you know, Oh, it's that date again. We need to watch <laughs> Josie, but, um, we would watch it now. When I watched it this time, I would say, this is my first viewing this year. And then I viewed it last year when it hit 20 years. But I think before that, it may have been a few years since I had seen it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, what yeah. Then, you guys. That makes, yeah. that makes sense of why this would be sort of a special movie for you to want to yeah. discuss. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I watched it. I think it was the summer after it came out. It came out in April. You know those high school summers where... For some reason, you just watched a movie in the middle of the day with your friends. Yep. We were at the video store, and I, I don't know which one of us, I don't think it was me, said, oh, I've always, I, I wanted to watch this. And it was a new release, whatever. And so we watched it, and we went back to their house. And I, my distinct memory is sitting on the floor watching the movie. And we didn't hate it. We didn't think it was great. And I just kind of filed it away as like, okay, that was a movie I saw. And you also weren't really you 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 had not watched Can't Hardly Wait, right? So yeah. you didn't really have any connection with the filmmakers at all. No, not um, at all. Yeah, but I, I mean, I'd seen a lot of teen stuff. Sure. I think. Yeah. I think I think the satire was probably lost on me. I think I was too focused on the fact that it was portraying like this sort of TRL culture mm-hmm. that I didn't yeah. like love. But at the same time, like my friends and I watched that show together. Did you ever see yeah. that? Oh yeah, that was an MTV like limited so series. I yeah. think I think we kind of like liked that it was doing like the together thing at the beginning, and then we're sort of like yeah. disappointed that it didn't continue that, even though it was kind of continuing. And we just it yeah. was just lost on together me was bit. the the boy band parody. Yeah, that was on MTV. It was like a mini series. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is kind of funny though that MTV was showing a parody of like the stuff that MTV was peddling. Right. I don't know. Um, but what's more corporate than that? Yeah, right. right. Yeah. We're actually going to get your money from the left hand and the right. Right, exactly. Right. Which, yeah, this movie shows how they do that as well. <laughs> right. Um, and then I think it honestly wasn't until, you know, you started mentioning what Andrew had been saying about it that I was like, oh, yeah, I probably did miss a lot. It's entirely possible that movie was better than I thought it was. And you had not rewatched it up until no, now. No, yeah, it's been which, it's been over twenty years since I saw it. So we'll get to that in just a sec. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll really quickly just run down my story, which is actually uh, very similar to yours, Andrew, to the point where Big I watched surprise. this. I watched this because of Phil. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, I remember seeing the poster. Like, you know, they had a huge Josie and the Pussycats like billboard poster in the mall, like by the theater. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of guys our age had a huge crush on Rachel Lee Cook. Um, like if you were to ask me who was like my celebrity crush, it probably would have been her. Um, but I also did not see it in the theater and I don't really know why. I think it was just because I think it flopped pretty quickly and it was kind of there. It It was was not there long. And I remember though, um, I basically went into Phil's dorm room and they were already watching it, but they had just started it. And I was like, what are you watching? And they're like, Josie and the Pussycats. And I seriously was like, are you kidding? <laughs> like I, th- I right. Like it's it was a whole con- bunch of dudes watching this chick movie, like kind, on its on its face. Kind of like that's the way I would have put it back then. Like I would have put it back then as like this was sort of like a like it's a good like it was a chick movie. I put it in that in quotes, you know. So it was almost like you shouldn't be watching this. Yeah. I mean, as you know, though, the movie kicks off right away with the Dijor song. Yeah, and I immediately was like, okay, this is pretty funny. Yeah, this is pretty funny, and I was immediately like, those are all the dudes from. Love Burger, yeah, and can't, can't hardly, hardly wait. wait. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm curious, and I just sat down on the couch for a little bit, and I was just, I, I was pretty glued to it. And I think when you're watching that movie with the right people, yes, it's very addictive because we were laughing, and a lot of that was just that contagious laughter of when you're watching something that everybody's on the right wavelength for it, mm-hmm. and yep. all those little hangups you might have had about oh, is Tara Reid in this movie, and like you know, I just, this is also like kind of cheesy, but why am I laughing at it? And it's yeah. just like, all right, I guess I'm a fan of this movie, you know. And I did watch it a couple times throughout those college years, and even after um, I watched it a few times, and it always just sort of stood out to me as like. 
that's a movie that's just better than people say it is. And that's kind of as far as I took it. Like I didn't, I wouldn't say it was like one of my all time favorites or like something that I was always super like apologetic and like evangelical about, like you've got to see this movie, but it was just always one that anytime I came up in conversation, I'd be like, that movie's better than you think it is, you know, or at least mm-hmm. I think that movie's pretty funny. And I thought that I remember even then thinking like, you know, the, the music in this is pretty good. Like, for it being all music created for a band in a movie, I'm like, this is really solid. Mm-hmm. Because what's interesting about the movie, and we can get, we'll definitely get into this, is like, there's parody music in the movie, right. and then there's real music that's good in the movie. Mm-hmm. And to be able to pull that off, where you can have some songs that are parody and they're funny because they parody it so well, and other ones that are just like, no, this is just genuinely a good, well written, polished pop song, is like very hard to do. But that's my sort of first viewing. I think now we can kind of get into the rewatch. Um, maybe that won't be the rewatch won't be all that revelatory for you, Andrew, because I imagine it was probably just like, yeah, it's a great movie. <laughs> but do you have anything right off the bat that you kind of want to kick off about the rewatch before we talk about ours? I think one of the things that, again, I, I watched that movie because I thought this looks fun. I have the album. It's great music. But the thing that was different is that, which I didn't mention in the first viewing, I was obsessed with Can't Hardly Wait in high school. Like, um, I will I will stand on the other side of that river from you all in your review of that movie. I still and like I, that movie. I, look, it's deep, it's deep fandom for me. <laughs> I love that movie. Warts and all, uh, I I'll think stay, that movie is fantastic. I'll stay quiet. And that's fine. But <laughs> But the thing is, I didn't know... Everybody who did that movie did this one. I didn't either. When I first watched it. I didn't either. And, yeah. And and all I was doing was like, oh, that's that one guy from Can't Hardly Wait. That's that other guy from Can't. Okay. There's three. Okay. There's four <laughs> so guys. People. Okay. All of Dejour. All of Dejour. Dejour means Can't Hardly Wait. So <laughs> I I loved it, and I think I think my appreciation grew. So now on the rewatch. It's just like hanging out with old friends. It really was. It was like a gathering with old friends. And and I let both of you know, again, I'm talking about just this familiarity and the fondness that I have for it. I put the kids to bed last night. I sat and I watched the movie again. And then when it was done, I went back to the main menu and it said, director commentary. And I mm-hmm. said, yeah, why not? So I fired it up and watched the whole thing again (laughs) and just with the director commentary, because again, it was just like, this is fun and I enjoy hanging out with this movie. And this is kind of just that ethos that I love. So it it didn't move the needle, Mm -hmm. uh, but what it did is let me know that I am not objective by any means to (laughs) this movie. Well, I think though, I mean, I don't think we're any of us are really objective about any of the movies we watch, but I think that uh, you'll have plenty of insight to really parse oh. out, I think, where that love comes from, I mm-hmm. think. Ryan, do you want to talk about your rewatch at all or Yeah. Uh I I mean I I barely remembered the movie it turns out. I uh, I knew like I remembered like <laughs> I remembered like the subliminal messaging thing and that was genuinely about it. Mm. Uh and I just really enjoyed it. I kind of Yes. Score. I did. Victory. We can end the podcast now. I think. I think what I'm just most interested in is kind of figuring out why this one didn't connect with people, Mm. because there is a lot of it that I'm like, it's doing a lot of the same things that like Ten Things I Hate About You did that everybody loved, including like Letters to Cleo. Like everybody remembers all the Letters to Cleo songs from literally all of them from from Ten Things I Hate About You. Yeah, so when you were talking about your first viewings, I also, I feel like I remember Josie and the Pussycats being everywhere, but nobody liking it. Like, I feel like it was huge. I remember the poster. I remember a whole lot about it, but then just nobody, nobody cared. Right. Yeah. So I, I, everything you said, Andrew, I, I agree. It was, it's just really funny. Um, Tara Reid, 20 years removed from whatever I thought of her at the time. She's just really good as, as that character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosario Dawson, actually, I feel like she was probably the least known of the three at the time. She was, um, yeah. She was, yeah. She comes through as extremely strong um, as an actor, as a comedian, as uh, even an emotional heavy sort of at times. Like Her storyline is 
also more sophisticated than I remember being. Like the mm-hmm. the fact that she picks up on the fact that like, oh, the black member of the group is pushed out or is is mm-hmm. sidelined. Um, Alan Cumming and and Parker Posey are just perfect as yes. these ludicrous villains. And yes. if you don't pick up on the fact that they all know what they're doing, like that's what that's what I think feels like. On the rewatch, I was like, how could people not see that they knew what they were doing? Yeah. That everything that they were criticized for at the time, it's like, yeah, they know. They know, know that it's supposed you know, to, it's did, like that it's this way. Did any of you guys read, and I'll, I'll get into my rewatch in a sec, but going off of that, because we always have to bring them in, the Roger Ebert review of this, no, which I is didn't. like a half a star. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. No, I didn't. But it's like Roger Ebert, brilliant critic, mm-hmm. didn't see it. You know, it's 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 actually kind of a mean review for Roger Ebert. Like, I and I know I, I kind of like I it when imagine. Ebert goes mean, but like he opens the review by saying, "Josie and the Pussycats are not dumber than the Spice Girls, but they're as dumb as the Spice Girls, which is dumb enough." Oh man! Oh, and, and it's like he didn't get the joke because the end of that first paragraph says the movie is a would-be comedy about prefab bands and commercial sponsorship, which may mean that the movie's own plugs for Coke, Target. Starbucks, Motorola, and Evian are part of the joke. I'm like, what do you mean may mean? It yeah. is the joke. That's the joke. <laughs> right. In fact, I remember this is actually, I remember reading something from Deborah Kaplan and Harry Alfont where they basically said they didn't actually get any money from these companies. Right. Like they, this Zero was, dollars. This was product placement for the sake of product placement. Like they weren't getting anything out of it because that's the joke. Right. <laughs> like it's not, and that it's, may mean that's the, well, that's I just don't know how you miss that. That's what's crazy you know? is that it's not subtle. Like if you just if, if all you saw was Dejour's private plane, it's like the like that the crest is just above the window, like that there's bounce and like dish soap lined yeah. up, like they get in there's Target everywhere. It's like <laughs> right. that's supposed to be ludicrous. Yes, absolutely. And I just don't get. It just seemed weird for Roger Ebert to a open up the like. First of all, they're they're not a dumb. They're not dumb. The band is not dumb no. in this movie. I they're, mean. They're, they're, Tara Reed's character is supposed to be like ditzy. an airhead. Yeah. But, but even she has moments of insight, like the clip we played, right. where she's seeing things that nobody else is seeing. Right. You know, about like she like, kind of spoils she, the end of that character. <laughs> right. Where she kind of shows that like Alan Cummings' character of Wyatt is ultimately at the core a very just insecure person. Right. And she sees that, you know. <laughs> you know, and this goes back to where um uh you know, not to get too off track, I think we're gonna get to this, but this is where if you Google this movie now, you have this whole resurgence of critics, almost all women, defending this movie and defending in a way that's like, this movie was always great. And none of the male critics at the time got it. Yeah. And that it's another argument for why there needs to be more diverse voices and criticism because part of the problem was all the critics panned this movie, but this movie was not made for a bunch of male critics who obviously did not get it. And this is where I'll get into my rewatch because I I had not seen this movie for a long time. And the main thing that I picked up right away when I watched it was like, oh, time has passed. (laughs) Like, it is definitely a movie of its time. That's not to say it doesn't have things to say for our time now. I think it certainly does. But it's pretty apparent right away that this is definitely a movie that is parodying and satirizing and critiquing specifically that late 90s, early 2000s pop culture. Yeah. And that was a very interesting time, I think, to be alive and be that sort of teen market, which we were, mm-hmm. because this is, a, this is a movie that strangely saddles Gen X going into millennial sort of culture. Yes. Because, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and, I, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put this in the show notes. Uh, Andrew, you, you sent this to us. It's a wonderful podcast series, uh, Josie and the Podcats. <laughs> um, Love it. That's like a little mini podcast series that goes deep into this. But they have a clip of um, Deborah Kaplan talking about how they kind of knew early on that they wanted to make this movie that was going to be taking on consumerist culture. Um, And Kaplan and Elfont were in college during the Gen X grunge days, which were totally anti-consumerist. And they just thought it was strange that within not even a decade, you Mm -hmm. went from grunge and alternative music, which was a rejection of like consumerist culture. And, you know, it was all about sort of like being yourself and like not being told by corporations what to think and what to do, even though 
we can talk about how grunge was yeah, sort of right. co-opted by the corporations anyways. But that was the general ethos of that time and that sort of Gen X period. And then by the end of that same decade, you've got basically most of your pop music, all of your music is just like boy bands and stuff that is pretty generic, pretty bland. And, you know, they're kind of like, how, how do you even get there? And then that is the premise. This is the world we live in. It's a world where corporations, through subliminal mes- messaging, tell you what to like, design the trends, tell you what the trends are going to be, and it's all about money and all about boosting the economy. And then you have the band itself, Josie and the Pussycats, which has that Gen X feeling that has that sort of, no, I'm just myself. I got my friends. I've got my band. We're writing what we want to write. We don't care what the trends are. We don't care what, the, uh, what, what, what people tell us we should like. And what I think is really impressive about the movie is it never really gives any easy answers to any of that. You could boil the movie down to, at the end of the day, saying that it's about thinking for yourself and it's about staying true to your friends. And you can take, yep. that, me- you can take that message away, and that's a good message to take away. The movie is not saying that's a bad message. Right. But the movie is not cheap enough to say that's the end of the story. Because mm-hmm. the reality is... The corporations are still going to sell you stuff. Corporations, yep. by the way, in the movie, they're basically going to shut down that whole subliminal messaging movie message and music anyways because they found out it works better in movies. <laughs> and then you get a big subliminal, yep. Josie and the Pussycats is the best movie ever. Yeah. That and join the army. And join yeah, the army. Join the army. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's just left there. Yeah. It's this really sort of like heavy kind of dystopian message of like, yeah, yep. that's the world. They will find any way possible to get all of your attention and get all of your money. But at the end of the day, think for yourself, stay true to your friends. It's just, I, I wonder even, there's a little bit of an aspect to be like, hey guys, you know when you thought this was bad, when you made up this slightly dystopian thing where there was subliminal messaging that the corporations sold you their stuff through music because they told you subliminally, <laughs> subliminally to like it? Guess what? <laughs> Fast forward 15 years, <laughs> right. and it's not subliminal. It's not even They're subliminal They're just anymore. telling you, <laughs> you're going to like this. Yeah. I legitimately today, so um, lots of the YouTubes uh, with kids. I have three kids. So we were watching a fan favorite here at the house, Dude Perfect. And I legitimately had to tell them in the middle of this Dude Perfect episode, hey, this is actually just a commercial. Mm-hmm. Right, like they're doing some cool trick shots in this and some funny things, but really, this is a commercial. And so I just need to tell you guys, they're trying to sell you something. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing that is most dated about this is the presence of a record label. Right. I think. Because mm. now, whatever you want to call content creators or artists or influencers or whatever, they don't need a record label to broker the deals between the the advertisers and the creatives that's how the creatives get their money directly from the corporations and the companies (laughs) and like you said there's no subliminal about it i mean it's if the movie was saying how it was was bad it had no idea for how much worse (laughs) it was going to become and i think that aspect of it makes the um i mean there's a lot that make the, the the reviews really tone deaf but it's that misunderstanding of how serious a problem the movie was portraying is. And I just, I've just read a couple of reviews like A.O. Scott absolutely missed the point. Like he said about the product placement. First off, he said that the movie, the movie lacked the corrosive venom of a Simpsons episode that he had seen recently. But he said the wall-to-wall product placement in the film means that Josie wants to sell its cake and eat it too. Like I just, I just don't know how you how you miss it right. how you don't understand that like an aquarium tank full of Evian water is a joke, <laughs> right? And um, are they saying so this is this is where I'm going to kind of like try to see it their way? Are they trying to say that they wanted to be a critique of consumerism, but ultimately they wanted to be a mega blockbuster movie with big stars and the heaviest hitting producers at the time to create the Josie and the Pussycats soundtrack. And that Josie and the Pussycats as a thing has always been a business proposition. Like Mm. Josie and the Pussycats was a product of Hanna-Barbera. It was a product of Archie comics. You know, it was never actually a real band. It was always something that was a product of corporate Mm -hmm. 
decisions. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's where these critics were coming from. They just didn't know how to like compute a movie that could do that, that could actually say, yeah, we know that. Yeah. But we can still critique it. I think it's just that it, they were in that damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. Yeah. Right. Because especially that A.O. Scott review, it's almost like I really wanted you to, to nail them to the wall. Yeah. I wanted you to just burn the whole thing down and you weren't strong enough. You didn't give enough hatred to it. You were kind of even handed to something that was bad. And because of that, I'm going to give your movie a bad review yeah. because you weren't as angry as I wanted you to be. But Nate, I think you nailed it. It's kind of like, oh, they absolutely eviscerated them. Yeah. But they did it in a quiet way. Actually, it's not even that quiet. It's the, not, no, it's, it's not, not quiet. It's not subtle. Can I tell you the word I think you were looking for, Andrew, when you were saying that the movie, Please. when you said the movie was too quiet? I think what the movie wasn't was masculine enough. Hmm. I think that the fact that it was pretty women doing the eviscerating was some cognitive dissonance Mm. that the male critics at the time just couldn't possibly fathom. Like, I mean, even to the point that uh, Roger Ebert made this randomly sexist, I think it's a sexist joke in his review where he said uh, he was talking about how there was subliminal messaging. And in a parenthetical thought, he says, the movie calls them subliminal since they're sound waves, they're actually suboral. But never mind, the Pussycats would probably think suboral was a kind of foreplay. Yes, I read that too, and I was like, what's going on there? Yeah. Which, I mean, you've got the mansplaining of <laughs> like, oh, it's not subliminal, <laughs> sweetheart. And then you've got the unnecessary Jeez. unnecessary sexualizing. Yeah. And I, I mean, random slut shaming. Like, right. like where yeah. did that come from? They were, ne- there was never any, like, aside from them being attractive, there was nothing sexual, overtly sexual about anything that they were doing. Right. And so it's, it just feels like they, that people had all these expectations for this movie. It didn't meet them. So the movie must have done it wrong rather than what was the movie actually doing. Yeah, and do you know who else it disappointed? It disappointed Archie Comics. That's right. So they actually were super frustrated with, again, all the things that you just said. Archie Comics was super frustrated with how sexual and how inappropriate it was Mm -hmm. and how adult it was. The Archie Comics family Mm -hmm. was super offended by the movie and they went out of their way to tell everybody, don't go watch this. We wish we hadn't given them rights to do this. Right, until... They made Riverdale. Until they made money. Well, yeah, then Riverdale, and that's... Way that's, darker. Yeah, <laughs> super <And> dark, <laughs> sexual, and yeah. So this movie came out in April 2001. Another movie that came out the same year that also didn't get a lot of critical love, but very quickly became a cult classic to the point where now it's highly respected, is in September, Zoolander came out. Mm. Now, these movies mm-hmm. are actually mm-hmm. crazy similar. Yeah. You've got yeah. two movies about government conspiracies of using popular culture icons <laughs> and subliminal messaging to do the government's biddings with lots to say about commercialism and product placement because that's all over Zoolander as well. Yeah. Not as much. Actually, Josie does it better, I think. I agree. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a Zoolander fan. Okay. But even the fact, okay, so, I mean, we're splitting hairs here because it's a matter of months, but Josie did it first. Yeah. And honestly, I don't understand why Parker Posey's character doesn't get the recognition that Will yeah. Ferrell's character gets in that because it's actually almost the same. Mm-hmm. But Parker Posey's has layers that I don't think Will Ferrell's character has. I Par- agree because she doesn't spend her movie screaming at people, <laughs> right? Like, and don't, I'm a, I'm a Will Ferrell fan, but you know, Mugatu is just a lot. It's a lot of yelling, yeah, and a lot of screaming, and yeah. Parker Posey is just but nailing it. But Parker Posey's character, the comedy comes from the character development. Yeah. The more mm-hmm. you learn about that character, the funnier it gets. Yeah. Because you realize I, how pathetic it is. Yep. Like, to me, one of the most brilliant scenes in that movie that even I still feel like I need to kind of study and yeah. figure out what's going on. I think I know what you Is the about. scene where they she brings them into her room. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff. I think as a man, I'm just not getting. Yeah. Like, there's a lot going on about women's dynamics of, like, power and, like, friendship and insecurity. Mm-hmm. Josie! Oh, I am starved. 
I'm such a pig. N no, no, you're not. So, Josie, how much do you weigh? Excuse me? Your weight? 118. Ha, 115. I'm three pounds lighter than you. But don't worry about it. I think you look great. Though pretty and popular. What did you just say? Nothing. I said the new thong's pretty popular. What thong? The new thong, the new single. I'm sorry, I have something caught in my teeth. And, and by the way, if you back that scene up just a little bit, she's coming down the stairs to a musical production of yes. a Josie and the Pussycat song. Mm-hmm. So she's redone. She's stripped, their, the, cool <laughs> she's stripped yeah. the cool off the song. Like that's a I, layer of comedy that you've got you've to be paying attention to get. Okay, side note, I wrote in my thing, I was like, I actually still want that big band production uh, <laughs> to be nice. Like I want to hear that full track that they pulled for that because I was like, oh my gosh, that's so great. And, you know, for whatever, as great as the Mugatu character is in Zoolander, I'm just not seeing that level of depth that you see in Parker Posey's character Mm -hmm. and performance in Josie and the Pussycats. Both are a product of what was on a lot of people's minds at the time. Sounding this alarm in the late 90s of we are becoming too corporatized, too capitalist, too obsessed with consumerism, and everything Mm -hmm. is getting homogenized. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, like going back to what you were saying, Ryan, I think... With, that's just the critics, but I think just as a culture, yep. as a viewing population, we were so much quicker to dismiss Josie and the Pussycats mm-hmm. because of it being a movie about women. Yeah, and I think also in in the reviews I've read, most of them would say, yeah, the movie started off strong when it was about a boy band, but then it lost its way. And it's like... Why Why suddenly did it lose its way? What did we start focusing on that made you think that now the movie lost its way? But I also, I mean, I don't know how big a name he was at the time, but the pedigree of the people involved yes. is just astounding. Like Matthew Libatik is the director of photography on this movie. Yeah, yeah. He... The movies he made before this were Pie and Requiem for a Dream. Right, right. He, he is Aronofsky he's Darren Aronofsky's yeah, he really go-to. Yeah, Aronofsky's go-to DP, and then like Babyface being the producer of the soundtrack, and Adam Schlesinger, who may not have been the household name in movie and TV music writing that he has become, but. It's just like, how can you look at who was involved in making it and not say, I might have gotten something wrong wrong here, right? Yeah. And like, if you don't recognize that what Parker Posey is doing with that character is what everybody loved about the way she handled characters in Christopher Guest movies, mm-hmm. yeah. yes, I don't know what to tell you. Like, she is so clearly aware of what is funny about her character. Right. Let alone there's just scenes that are straight up funny, like... I don't know if they were the first to do it or whatever, but like where she says something under her breath and the guy hears her and yes, she just like she just freezes. That's so that funny. whole scene. That whole scene with she's got all the feathers attached to her. Right. So every single time she turns around <laughs> right. like, sound, and they're yeah. like hitting the guy and and then she does the muttering under her breath. Oh my gosh. In the director's commentary, again, guys, I sacrificed for you. So this is the tidbit that I bring to the table. They said often what they did is that in the script, they would have a bunch of stuff written. They would get Alan and Parker to nail their lines. And then they would say, okay, we think we got it. So why don't you just do whatever? Just have fun with it. Just do what you would want to do in this scene. And they said 80% of the time they used the cut that was their extra cut yeah. because they just piled it on. That's awesome. And it was so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I did want to know from your guys' vantage points, uh, you know, members of bands, was there any aspects of this movie uh, with Josie and the Pussycats, either like when they got the really crappy payout at the bowling alley or anything oh my else? Gosh. Was it just painful? Painful to watch. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. I mean, to the point where we've played bowling alleys. <laughs> yeah, I played a bowling alley. <laughs> it was in the basement. It wasn't actually up by the, the bowling. Um, so you could absolutely be in the building and not know that we were playing. Even to the point where they talk about like their cut. I've been there. You're like excited about what you made off the door. And then there's just something you didn't think about. I don't know what it was. You know, like sometimes it would be like 
oh, you know, we only got like two drink tickets, so we have to pay for the rest of that beer oh, we drink. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like just stuff like that where it's just like, oh yeah, for, we didn't make we didn't make much money to begin with, and then once you figure in the gas it costs to get here, it's kind of a wash. We might have mm-hmm. even spent money to play here for right. all we know. I, yeah, I I can't guarantee that I've ever made money uh, on a gig. I don't know because well because they spend so little time being the the ba- unknown band. Um, I think they kind of just cram it all in that one in scene. that one scene. Yeah, and mm-hmm. well, you know, and actually, since you asked about the band, should we just talk about the music for a little bit? What I knew, I knew that the singer was the singer from Letters to Cleo, Kay Hanley. But that's kind of all I knew, mm. and then it wasn't until I kind of looked into this you know, getting ready for this podcast that that's when I learned that like, yeah, Babyface produced all this music. A lot of it was written by Adam Schlesinger, which if you go back to our That Thing You Do episode, we basically have a gush fest about Adam yep. Schlesinger. <laughs> like, and we're so Im- impressed with the music from That Thing You Do. Adam Schlesinger being uh, the the singer and, and songwriter for Fountains of Wayne, mm-hmm. amongst other, uh, a lot of, a lot a of lot like, of a lot of paid gigs, TV, uh, and, TV and movies. Movie music, Yeah. Jane Wideland, right? From the Go-Go's? Yeah, yep, involved. Um, and then I don't know where, but somewhere Adam Durwitz from Counting Crows is in there. Um, Which in a text message you said is kind of a, a knock against it, and I would tend to agree, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry for all the Counting Crows fans out there, but but I, I think that does... Keep listening. <laughs> it does just tell you like the pedigree of people we're talking about here to put this music together. Right, yeah. And I mean, so, a lot of pop music know-how. So does does the music work for you guys though? I mean, just because you've got a lot of great names on it, yeah. You know how does it how does it work for you in the movie? I I think it works great. I've never listened to it on its own, and I would like to after watching it uh, again. Um, but I think yeah, I've had that. I, I don't know the names of the songs, but the like the six whole hours. Like, oh, that's a great song. I'm a punk rock punk. Yeah, uh, it's. I've already listened to it twice this week. Mm-hmm. Same CD um, you got from that box trade-in. That or did you get the oh, vinyl man. when it came out? So this is this is. I'm actually like hanging my head. <gasps> it was at a local record store, sealed everything. I bought it, but I bought it for its market inefficiency. It was like I think forty six bucks, mm. forty seven dollars, and it was going on eBay for like 80 and 90. Mm. And so I literally bought it to sell it Mm. and I got the price that I wanted. And as I mailed it off, I was like, I hate myself. Um, (laughs) Such a sad story. And so now, so even just for kicks and grins, I look last night, I mean, on eBay, now I didn't go on Discogs. I think it's actually about the same price, but it's like $120. Oh man, I'm sorry. That's salt in the wound. Did they not it have two sucks. copies? Oh, that's right. They didn't. Oh, man. You have no idea. I would have done that. I would have done that so fast. Mm. Uh, but Mondo put this out, and like the albums are purple, and yeah. like the du jour. Uh, yeah. Can you imagine listening to Backdoor Lover on, the- on vinyl? <laughs> on 180 yeah. gram vinyl? Man. Honestly, it would pop so nice. Um, <laughs> the, the, the fact of the matter is like the, the soundtrack holds together so incredibly well nate you're talking about when you that first time walking into phil's room and hearing the movie start if you have your sound up really the first thing you hear in the movie is them humming oh yeah and then like harmonizing for the first notes of backdoor lover and (laughs) it actually it sounds so good That parody is so spot on. Mm-hmm. It's so spot on. It's Spinal Tap level parody. The Josie songs are not parody. Those right. are just straight up good songs. 
I don't see any reason to not put them right up there with like the stuff that was coming out at the time, which was like your Blink One Eighty Two, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a whole lot like Green Day and Lit, and like yeah, there was yes. a whole lot of it stuff sound, going on. It sounds like itself, right? Yeah. It sounds like of the time. It also kind of tells you that that you know, Letters to Cleo was not really big at that point, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of like that. That is a void that was there in that moment. Yep. There's no reason why all those Josie and the Pussycat songs wouldn't have also fit perfectly well in the radio at that time. But I think that's what you're like. You're right that there was a void that was there, and then like, I is there a connection to the fact that Avril Lavigne got popular right after that's that? True. Yeah, that people were sort of like, oh yeah, this this could be, this is good. Yeah, <laughs> like, this is cool, and I see a connection between the revisiting of Josie and the Pussycats, not just as a movie, but as music. Like You are seeing people write also specifically about the music. And I I don't think it's a coincidence that um, Olivia Rodrigo's album sounds like it could be off the Josie and the Pussycats album. There's Girl in Red is writing songs that sound like Blink-182 songs. Like Right now, there seems to be a serious resurgence of pop punk and guitar. Electric guitar, which was like declared dead two years ago, yep. is making a huge comeback among women. Yep. We've got You're totally female, right. yeah. female musicians who are doing pop punk as well and better than the music from 20 and 25 years ago. And you've got the best and most innovative guitarists right now are female guitarists. I, I you've got Adrian yeah. Lenker. Uh, you've got Mitski. I mean, Mitski. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, St. Vincent. Like, yep. yeah. This is the, like Josie and the Pussycats predicated all of this yeah. and, and you and you wonder like is it like like what beget what did a lot of these women yeah. grow up yeah, on josie and the pussycats and say that's kind of i i feel that yeah that's what i feel that's yeah. and that's the kind of stuff i want to make mm-hmm. you know um or is it just that this is naturally what kind of happened and and mm-hmm. now they're kind of like oh this movie was made 20 years ago and it was kind of doing this too you yeah know? but almost yeah i mean even though you've got like avril lavigne and like maybe paramore sort of following in these in these footsteps they were still following to an extent the female pop star route which was you sing you don't play your music right you don't necessarily yeah. write it you don't play your guitar and now you've got a generation of women who and granted there have always been women who've been yeah. playing guitar yeah, yeah, yeah. and doing oh, yeah. this sort of yeah. thing i would say we need to at least give some shout out to slater kenny right <laughs> like, they've been doing it for just absolutely. A bit of like time. slater kenny and you've got uh, i mean it kind of became a cliche of having a female bass player but like kim gordon and Kim Deal and like all these women who have been doing it. But I think one of the key things that was said was you said that Josie and the Pussycats exposed a void in pop music yeah. and given a chance to say, oh yeah, that is a void. This movie's making a great point. Everybody was like, this movie doesn't make any sense and it's dumb. <laughs> and then now 20 years later, we're seeing like people are recreating that sort of music and people are kind of revisiting that, which I mean... To an extent, shows how influential it was and how long ago it was, because it wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't yeah. be having this influence if it weren't twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, yeah. yeah. It, what's strange is that you did have, like, in the early '90s, you had bands like Hole, yeah, Letters to Cleo, exactly, yeah. you had Veruca Ru- Salt, like Save Ferris, Save, The Breeders. But it is strange to think that, yeah, mm. you think about that late '90s period, that same period, and it was just like the only way you could be a woman and in popular music was to be a Christina Aguilera, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a Britney Spears, a Mandy Moore. Uh, the occasional you know, Jewel. The, well, but Jewel's already even kind of passe by then. She was more oh, yeah, like, she no, was she more was like early to mid 90s. Yeah. You know, it was really like, it was a weird time, that late 90s period. Yeah. I understand this is like a super wide ranging conversation and I love it. <laughs> the thing, there's one Bring aspect that we Bring haven't talked about. Well, no, the, the, the fact is, how was our music distributed back then? Yeah. Right? Like what did make it to the quote unquote airwaves yeah. is because it went on the airwaves. So if it really didn't have a home on the radio, it wasn't going to yeah. get played or on MTV. male or female. Yeah. Yeah. So radio stations yeah. were only going to play what would get ears mm-hmm. that would stick with the stations. And so now what you guys are talking about, let's, let's not go back to that. 
the music environment that we are a part of with everything yeah. streaming is yeah. vastly different. Right. Yeah. It's not it's, vastly, yeah. vastly different. That's true. I feel like every episode of this podcast, we eventually end up to how does anything get popular anymore? Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> how do these kids do this these days? Well, I've seen musicians like complain that their labels or whoever, their managers, whoever is in like trying to guide them are pushing them to have something that will become popular in TikTok, like yeah, uh, something right. that's got a 20 second loop that people are going to listen to. And I mean, you get some fascinating things from that. Like Kate Bush, she's back. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like a 30 yeah. year old song, she's, 40, a 40 year old song. She's running up that hill. It's running yeah. up that hill. She finally made that deal with God. <laughs> All because of stranger things. Yeah. Right. Well, we've moved away from the movie specifically. So are there things about the movie that you've, you've, I mean, you've been thinking about this movie for a long time. Maybe, maybe you've gotten people to listen to you, but are there things about it that you really want us to talk about here? Some of the small things that were, again, some of the under the radar, underappreciated things of the movie. Baby face is in the movie. Oh, is baby face is the chief who plays the janitor who's cleaning and talking about how he was in the captain and Tennille oh, and the chief. Oh, that's baby. That's face. baby face. <laughs> that's that's baby face's first time acting. That's funny. I mean, he got me laughing so hard. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The, the whole, the whole tying in the behind the music thing yep. to their subversive plot yeah. was really well done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other things we've mentioned it, but just that there was an entire group of people who were working underground on new and different ways to get the youth of America convinced to, mm-hmm. to buy new things. Mm-hmm. See, Nate, this was something I did catch the very first time I saw it, and I knew forever. I was like, yes, these are my people. And it said across the ticker, Can't Hardly Wait is a highly underrated movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, not knowing that they were the same people that made it, but I was like, "Yes, you got me." And I love uh, we 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 have to talk about the Eugene Levy video. Yes, yes, it's still one of the best parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Ned Beatty's speech in Network. It is. It is. You see, for years the government has been wisely coercing teenagers to buy products they normally wouldn't want just to get their money. Fact: kids don't have bills to pay. Fact: they don't pay taxes. But they do babysit and hold minimum wage jobs that earn them wads of cash as thick as, well, my body of work. But these kids today aren't dumb. They're not going to buy just anything. That's why the government has been planning small subliminal advertising suggestions in today's rock music. The results? We can now get these kids to buy just about anything. We can have them chasing a new trend every week. And that is good for the economy. And what's good for the economy is good for the country. So God bless the United States of America, the most ass-kicking country in the world. And I also think it is intentionally sort of uh, an homage to the Jurassic Park video. Mm. Yes. Mm -hmm. That just sort of like company-made video (laughs) that just explains everything to you. Well, you know what? Okay, so on that, so I'm going to all hit this. And if you remember, you know, jump back in. I, I do think they had a few expository moments in the movie yeah, yeah. that made up a lot of ground really quick so that you felt like you were in on it. So expositorily, that whole cartoon, I mean, if you weren't getting it yet, You're right. they've, they've tied it all together real fast for you. <laughs> the ubiquitousness of it is intentional. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and part of it's sort of dystopia. Right. This is sort of saying, you live it. This is the water we swim in. This is the water we drink. You Which know. is the detail-oriented part of it. Like we were talking about some of the details. It's easy to miss it if it's if it's just sort of depicting depicting it as normal, I guess. That's is true. Maybe what that's the, why they missed it. what the it. issue yeah. is. And it was Even, too ubiquitous. Right. To the point and, of them saying, well, yeah, that's just the way it is. I don't understand what you're saying about but yeah. that. You know. But they set it up for that. Yeah. Like that's again the brilliance of it. They jump out of the plane mm-hmm. and when he is taking off his parachute in front of the Riverdale sign, it's yeah. all of the companies that sponsor <laughs> Riverdale right. right behind him. Right. It's on the sign. Right. Yeah. Exactly. This town is run by Apple. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't see the satire in it, you're just not paying attention. I think that they're just being 
too accurate and people don't see that it's a joke because it's too close to reality. Like it's too real. That after DuJour's plane goes down, they said the label hasn't issued a statement except to say that there's a CD box set being released tomorrow. <laughs> like no <laughs> no so statement good. about their death, but they do have a way to sell something to you, a commemorative so box glad you set. That, up. that like that's so <laughs> funny and dark so and funny. true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like and that it's read by an MTV news person who is just going to straight face yeah. this as if this is totally normal. Right. There's no winking there. I hope people, I don't know. I don't know what it is because to even like make a case for it is, I think, as difficult as today as it was then to just say, oh, this movie's like absolutely accurate about mm-hmm. what's going on in the world. Yeah. It just thinks it's ridiculous. In the way we're talking about it, it almost makes me feel like you're signing up to watch like Children of Men or something like <laughs> yeah. that. But like, but like it's, but, but it's a, but it's a fun movie it's, too. It is. It's it a is. really fun movie. And ultimately, like, even the villains, you kind of you kind of love them, yeah. you know, and and especially Josie and the Pussycats. Like you love Josie and Valerie and Melody, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's funny because we haven't actually talked that much about them, about like the band yeah. and like and like act off each other, and mm-hmm. it just. I mean, you said it early on, Andrew. Like this is just feels like you're hanging out with your friends, but I mean, even in the sense of like, I think even the first time you watch it, you can get that feeling. Yes. Like you can get that feeling of like, these are just kind of like a group of people you'd want to hang out with. There's like genuine love between them. And each one of those members of that band has their like stock role Mm -hmm. to fill in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think every one of them, Rachel Lee Cook, Rosario Dawson and Tara Reid all work within that stock character to really bring life to it in a very real and genuine way. I think what that opening scene where you know I was referencing kind of that heavily detailed exp- exposition that first song where you're getting snippets of each of those characters doing real life things mm-hmm. throughout their world like when you finally hear those people open their mouths for the first time you have a really solid ex- understanding of who they are yeah. and immediately you like Rosario Dawson's character when somebody hands food to the homeless shelter and it's a box of life cereal. And she looks at it and she looks at them and says, it's already open. (laughs) (laughs) Like she's flabbergasted (laughs) at these people. And I think we enter the movie already being like, I know these people. Like they're real life people. They're normal people. No one, no one, no one gives an, are you kidding me face? Like Rosario Dawson does all throughout this movie. Like she just kind of, (laughs) she's kind of the first one to understand what's going on. Even right. There's the, the, the meeting with Wyatt and they talk about Mm -hmm. the beastie boys and she's the one that kind of break the silence (laughs) and says they're really big stars. (laughs) They're really big stars. Or when, when he's giving them the name, Josie and the, Pussycats. Market research shows bands that <laughs> oh, and have she, end in the yeah. Video. She's like the Beatles, the Rolling, <laughs> the Rolling Stones. Like, well, well, yeah. If you want to split hairs, yeah. <laughs> I think it's also important that they aren't. They're never like exasperated by melody. Yes, like that could be a very easy way to discredit that character or to even and, further stereotype that character and get cheap laughs. Yeah, because you can get a reaction shot. Right, and part of it is that the way that the filmmakers handled it with the way they directed the other actors and wrote the script. But also it's just the characters and the performances by Rachel Lee Cook and Rosario Dawson who just, yeah, she's, that's who she is and she's our friend. And like when Josie tries to devastate her when she's being evil. Right. And it doesn't work. She doesn't internalize it and say, I need to change. Yeah. And she goes and finds puppies to to be nice to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I will say kudos to Tara Reid for the, uh, the shower scene. Where she's singing, if you're happy, (laughs) keeps dropping, and then just keeps dropping it and keeps clapping. I'm just like, I am so glad they just let her keep going. It's so good. Yeah, that was really funny. All right, well, you know, Andrew, this has been a real blast talking about Josie. I I think it's been fun that we're all kind of on the same page Mm -hmm. with this. Yeah, I mean, I guess we don't have anything more to say than thank you for Mm -hmm. making us watch it. I think, yeah. Definitely. It really was my honor. This is one of my favorite movies. Um, so it, to have an excuse to talk with my friends about it and kind of gush over it a little bit in all of its weirdness mm-hmm. and wonder, thank you. 
All right. Well, Andrew, you know, I'm sure we'll hear more from you in future episodes. At least I hope that you'll keep calling in, giving yeah, your feedback. <laughs> it's it's sort of become sort of a its own section of our podcast, the the Andrew feedback. So always happy to chime in. So, you know, thank you for, you know, listening for as long as you have. Mm-hmm. And I'm so, you know, I'm along with the joys of talking Josie and the Pussycats, it's also just a joy to finally get you on here. Yes. Get you on as a guest. Definitely. Looking forward to the next time when air it be. Yeah. All right. And with that said, why don't we go ahead and uh, talk about what we're going to discuss in our next episode of Can We Still Be Friends? Episode 106. 106, We're looking yeah. at September. Yeah. Septem- what September. do you think about, Ryan, what do you think about when, when September rolls around? Uh, Labor Day weekend, because I will already have been in school for about three weeks. And so that's a nice break at the beginning of the year. But I think the operative idea there. That was yes, back yeah. Can, can you just can you just play? Back to can, can you just go with me a little bit here? Back, back to, to school is what I was getting yeah. at. Maybe I should just ask Nate. What do you yeah, think? Nate, what, about what do when, you think about when you get and I'll to think say, about September? Well, you know, having not My been in birthday. school for a long time, uh-huh. is your your birthday is in September? Right? It is. Yeah. Okay. Man, you got a lot of stuff to think about in September. Kelsey's birthday's in September. Oh my goodness. September's a big month for you. Oh yeah. That was a really stupid question for me to throw out because it could have well, been it could have been one of a know. dozen things. You didn't know. You didn't I know when known. my birthday was. I should I should have known. <laughs> if I looked at my calendar, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. But, but generally speaking, yeah. back to school time. Right. That didn't pull off the same way I was intending it to when I asked you that question, but that's the idea. That this is yeah. back to school time. We're talking about back to school. People are Buying their new sneakers, yep. getting their backpacks and their crayons packed, yeah. and packed and rulers, getting those uh, uh, schedules from their, you know, yeah. figuring out their schedules, right. figuring out who's going to be in their lunch. Oh, gosh. Yeah. In some ways, it's a pretty the anxiety stress. filled yeah, time. Yeah, the stress. Oh, oh, I'm stressed. And so, you know, anxiety is going to be also a big part of maybe the next movie we choose Could as be. well, yeah. uh, depending on which it way we go with it. Certainly isn't a soothing movie. Right, right. So here's here's our yeah, idea. Look at it. Um, this is this is sort of something I pitched to Ryan. Mm-hmm. So as you longtime listeners may know, Ryan is a teacher. He mm-hmm. teaches high school, mm-hmm. and Ryan teaches a class uh, that's called philosophy and film. Um, so those who are lucky enough to attend the high school that he teaches at see this on the schedule. And I, I know if I was in school, I'd be like, A, that sounds like an awesome elective I don't have to work too hard in. Yeah, and yeah. B, I like movies. Boy, you you know my students. <laughs> I had, yeah. And I totally would have signed up for a film, a, a class called Philosophy and Film. I, uh, that would have been fun to have you in class, I think. I don't know. Well, we're going to find out. High school. We're going to find That's... out because this is where the ideas go in here. <laughs> The idea is that we should do a back-to-school, sort of like a, a series, a back-to-school series for the next, well, I guess it'd just Couple be the episodes, two episodes yeah. of the podcast, where we as listeners, and me as the co-host of the show, get to sort of like take this class. Sit in a little bit. Sit in. Yeah. It's not going to be like a class. It's still going to be the no, same yeah. formula. We'd, right. we're, we're too tied to our traditions yeah. to stray from the formula. Really. Yeah. And I'm not a lecturer either, so that wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't right. really work. Right, right. But, you know... I'll play the student. Uh-huh. Ryan will play the teacher. Uh-huh. Listeners can play the uh, administrator that has to come in and observe <laughs> and decide whether Ryan gets to keep his job. Or the students who refuse to <laughs> uh, participate in class. One of those two. But we're going to go back to school and we're going to have Ryan. Um, we're going we're to do some movies that Ryan does in his class, philosophy and film. So yeah. what, Ryan, why don't you tell us what's the next movie that we're going to talk about? Well, the next one, we were kind of saying this. This is a movie that maybe you've seen and maybe you haven't re-seen because... It's not an easy movie. Uh, and that movie is No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Um, which I've seen it many, many times. Countless, now. probably. I could probably Is it countless? Count. You, you could count. I could it. probably count because it's usually at least two times a year. A difficult count. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd have to sit there for a couple minutes. Maybe get one of those old Just school, like, it. what are the bead things? Uh, abacus, yeah. Abacus, yeah. I'd have to, yeah, it, it would take a long time because I'd have to learn how to use an abacus and then count the years that I've taught this class. But yeah, so, so I've seen it I've probably seen it like 20 times at the least and I've seen it maybe one tenth of that. Two times? Two, yeah, that's wow. that's the math, right? So much math here. <laughs> I'm an English teacher. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but you know, uh, long-time listeners will also know that we're huge Coen Brothers fans. We've yeah. done two prior episodes, Barton Fink and The Big Lebowski, mm-hmm. um, that you can go back through our archives and listen to if you want. Yeah. Um, but we're huge Coen Brothers fans, but we haven't tackled this movie. No. But you, Ryan, have tackled it many a time many in your times. class. Many times. And yeah. so we just kind of want to, like, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I was a little selfish about this. It was kind of like, I just want to know, like, what 
Ryan teaches when he does this. I think it'll be interesting well, I to hear. That. That is interesting. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I, I suppose I'll watch the movie, try to, try to try to throw a few things in here and there. Yeah, but uh, I I'm, I will watch the movie. I really don't think I. You would don't need have to. to. You could probably just perform it. <laughs> Maybe that'll just. Be the... I can. But if you've always felt a little confused about No Country for Men, I can at least tell you what I think after watching it yeah. dozens of times. Right. And you have done this with the hardest of audiences, high school students. 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds. And I will say that oftentimes I, when I ask students which was the, the like movie that was the most helpful for understanding of philosophy, No Country for Men usually ranks pretty highly. Good. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Now I'm setting too too high of a standard. Yeah, let's you've, be careful. You've been, you've been be careful building here. me up too much. Yeah. Which is odd. I mean, it's not like we're mean to each other, but we certainly aren't encouraging to one another. It's out of character, yeah. for sure. Um, so let's cut that out. <laughs> All right? Yeah. We've got a brand to maintain we'll, of we'll insecurity. See. Ryan, we'll see if you can pull this off. I'm yeah. a little skeptical, but okay. we'll see. All right. Uh, sure. You. Yeah, yeah. it'll work for high schoolers. Is it going to yeah. work for the Can We Still Be Friends audience? Yeah. We'll see. We will see about that. Yeah, we'll have to see. You guys are a tough crowd. <laughs> but there's a lot of different ways that you can let us know about uh, how you feel about this episode and yeah. our past episodes. It, raise your hand, please, one at a time. That's right. Yeah, it's call on you this is back to school there's rules there's discipline yeah you better you better fly straight (laughs) next time fly straight isn't that the what's the what's the saying it is my classroom i don't know in this classroom you fly fly straight straight. now we're in top gun this is nothing like me but you were actually saying that this could actually do double duty if you ever need to get a substitute that's right yeah if you ever need one it's like hey you just pop on this podcast okay (laughs) yeah can you count this as work time Oh yeah, maybe I should timesheet it. We that don't really. We can't I mean, really timesheet. Can, can you talk to the union about this and be like, yeah. "Hey, I'm gonna head out early on Friday because I'm kind of doing the work." Yeah, that's true. When I record this podcast. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, just reply, uh, apply, like put in release time. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like where I get to be out of school, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm not losing any sick days or personal days yeah. or anything. I mean, that's. It's an only fair. Plan. I mean, it's not that different from developing subplans. Curriculum, yeah. And curriculum. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's well, kind of just doing your planning hour. You know what I really like, should have done was put in curriculums, summer curriculum hours, and I would get paid hourly. Well, you could have been doing that all along. Like this entire podcast, you could have been saying, I'm kind of doing curriculum work. We're, we're yeah. exploring. This might be a movie I want to yeah, teach. Yeah, right. Oh, exactly. Like, might Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah, I yeah, might yeah. want to do a section on this. I don't. I won't know unless I do this podcast episode. Exactly, so I need yeah. to kind of count this as my plan, planning true. hour. You know, it's just an idea. Yeah, it's something to think about. And I hope this isn't incriminating. <laughs> well, we should move on then. Yeah. <laughs> why, don't, why don't we go ahead and... Uh, and, and wrap this up then let's just kind of run down a few things here so um, thank you so much for listening to listen or comment on this or any of our past episodes find us at canwestillbefriends.net or email us at feedback at canwestillbefriends.net find us on Facebook at Can We Still Be Friends Podcast or Instagram at Can We Still Be Friends Pod if you'd like to leave us a voice message and perhaps be featured on the podcast call us at 847-306-9532 or email us a voice memo as always, we'd love it if you could subscribe and leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts, because those ratings really help spread the word about our show. Uh, Can We Still Be Friends is written and produced by Ryan Ebling, me, and Nate Goss, and edited by Nate Goss. As always, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Hello, Can We Still Be Friends listeners. It's Andrew. After we recorded, I left extra dejected because I was thinking again about the lost vinyl that I had sold and the lost opportunity to own one of the best albums. And uh, so I went to eBay with my head hung low, much like Charlie Brown, expecting to find overpriced vinyl that I could not afford. And yet a wonderful seller actually had an opened but unlistened to vinyl. And so now I am the proud owner again of a Josie and the Pussycats vinyl. It's purple with like black splotches all over and a white seven inch single, uh, double sided obviously for DuJour. And it's incredible. I can't wait to listen to it again and again. So don't feel sorry for me. I assume you don't feel sorry for me because what a silly thing to feel sorry for somebody about. But anyway, I have it now. Celebrate with me. Hooray.